This is Peak Too Early, presented by SAV Racing, featuring Mike Gendron, Trent Fontanella, and Steve Gendron. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the greatest running podcast in the world, Peak Too Early. I am one of your hosts, Steve Gendron, and I am not joined by Mike Gendron, who is somewhere off the coast of Costa Rica on his honeymoon. But as always, we do have Trent Fontanella. Trent, how you doing, bud? Steve, I am doing good. You didn't ask me where I was coming from. I was all excited to tell you where uh, I was shoot. At right now. Where, where are you at? Oh, thanks, Steve. So <laughs> this, is, uh, this is probably going to go poorly, but I am on the banks of Lake Chargog. Gagog, Manchog, Agog, Chabunagun, Gamog. What? Is, yes. <laughs> it's the longest name of a location in the United States. Uh, it's my girlfriend's parents' house. So I'm out here uh, hanging out. Just, just uh, you know, had to sneak away from the family to do some podcasting. But that, that's where we're at right now. So hopefully I said that okay. Where, Where is that lake? It's just like an hour outside of Boston. It uh, sounds a lot more exotic than it is. It's the old Native <laughs> American name. I guess the locals just call it Webster Lake now. A little bit easier to pronounce than the, uh, I'm not even going to try and say it again. No, nah, you got to stick with the original name. It's, uh, I guess it means I fish on my side, you fish on your side. We both fish in the middle, which is kind of cool. Um, I didn't do any fishing this weekend. I did a lot of drinking and listening to music. But uh, So yeah, great weekend for me. Little did you know that you were going to get some... Uh, some education on Native American term and uh, terms and language on on peak too early, but we we cover it all here. So uh, yeah, uh, that that's awesome. Good for you, man. Well, I'm I'm up here in, in Lowell, Massachusetts, sweating my ass off um, with this with this humid, gross weather we got. But we just came back. I'm uh, I'm I'm still a little hungover, but we just came back from Mike's wedding, and what a wedding it was. We had a good time. I posted a picture, a uh, video rather on our Instagram of, uh, of me, you, and Mike singing, singing some, some Josie. Um, so it just kind of gave a little glimpse into what the, what the weekend was like. If you want to go check that out on our Instagram, but great wedding. I had a blast. I want to give a shout out to Mike's, uh, beautiful fiance for her, uh, family's religion. I, uh, I don't want to be like religious and sensitive on here, but I just want to say there were some Jewish elements of the wedding that were awesome. There was that, uh, you know, the song and dance is that, we're in a circle. There's people getting thrown up on chairs. There's glasses. Uh, I don't want to throw Mike under. The no, I'll throw him under the bus. But throw him under the bus. The inability to stomp a glass. Like it's how many glasses <laughs> have you broken incidentally in your life? And Mike, on like the biggest moment of his life, is unable to stomp on this little glass. So poor performance out of Mike, but great performance <laughs> out of uh, out of the, the. I don't know. Are we allowed to say Mike's Mike's fiance's name on here. Yeah, yeah, we said her name on the on the last show. He's, I mean, she's the uh, she's she's the intro to our podcast. That's true. So Cece's family, great job getting us all in the, the spirit of a nice, you know, Jewish elemented wedding. Not that it was a full Jewish wedding, but yeah, great time. Just just an awesome time. So I uh, we Mike had his his ceremony outside, and they got married. It was it was a beautiful beautiful ceremony outside. They had it was in you know in Vermont, so you had like the hills and the mountains in the background. Absolutely beautiful. Um, but they got married like, you know, 
on grass. Like, so the, you know, they, they set up the chairs and the, you know, the, the area where they had the ceremony on grass and in the rehearsal, you know, they said, okay. And we give Mike the glass and he stomps on it. And I told Mike, I was like, Mike, you should get like a piece of cardboard or, um, you know, get like a board or something because this grass is pretty thick and it's going to be tough to, to break the glass, um, stomping on it on this grass. And he's like, dude, I got it. They make it so it breaks easily. He's like, he's like, you don't, you don't need to worry about it. It's like, I'm going to smash that thing into a million pieces. And then the ceremony came around and it was Mike's big moment to stomp on the glass. And he completely whiffed. He didn't break it. He had to give it two or three stomps. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to remind Mike of that for the rest of his life. Yeah, it was definitely the third because uh, you watched it the first time. Like, there's no way he failed on this. So I'm kind of standing up, trying to get a better view of it. Fails again. And then he, he finally came through. But uh, I guess he made it up in other parts of the night, you know, the dance floor and, and just being the groom and being a class act that he was. So uh, uh, overall, besides Mike failing to break the glass, it was just a great wedding. So the uh, what is it the the song the uh, Hava Nagila that song uh, Mike maybe you can because Mike's actually gonna edit this late tonight when he gets back from Costa Rica but you can you can put in the music so, Hava. so my first experience with this and uh, awesome it was amazing I had so much fun the song goes on for like ten minutes and uh, you know before we kind of because I, so I, I was in Mike's wedding party so before we do the intro the band came and talked to us and they're like, listen, we're going to play this like a couple minutes into the wedding. Right. And I just want you to know that when you have them up on the chairs, it is extremely, extremely dangerous. <laughs> so you got to get, we're going to organize this now, get people who you trust underneath you with the chair, because you know, if the chair tips or they throw you off or they drop the chair, like somebody's going to get hurt. And, you know, I can only imagine that they have witnessed somebody getting severely oh. hurt because they, they do they do a bunch of weddings. And, you know, I have severe shoulder problems, like crazy dislocation problems. I've had surgery on it. And like it's just like I have a really bad left shoulder. And, uh, and so we made the decision, you know, as brothers and as groomsmen that I wasn't going to be one of the people under the chair chair hoisting it up. I was going to, you know, take video. Um but once Mike started going up on the chair, I was like, there's no way I can't be part of this. So I ran over. I had one of the legs of the chair and we were tossing him up. And <laughs> and we kind of got a little aggressive, uh, you know, towards the end of the song because, you know, we kind of were feeling a little cocky with it. You know, we had made it through most of the song without throwing Mike off. And then, like, we all kind of looked at each other and we were really like throwing him up, trying to get him some air off the chair. And there was one point where Mike had like the scaredest look in his eyes and he's just holding on to the chair because if he wasn't holding on to the chair, he would have been tossed up in the air. So, um, you know, awesome wedding. Love some of these Jewish traditions. I think we got to, you know, on all the weddings going forward, we got to we got to do that. We got to we got to throw in that song, do some of these, you know, traditions. We got to throw some glasses down, try to, you know, embarrass, embarrass the groom when he can't break them. But um, great, great wedding all around for sure. The, uh, the other cool traditions that we haven't talked about yet that I've never been a part of. Um, is the the run the pre-wedding run which I'm sure you want to mention but I first want to say that when I get this this invitation that has the schedule of events on it and I see that Mike has a run schedule for anyone (laughs) that wants to at like I don't know 9 a.m or something like that but the first time I read it in my head it it felt like 6 a.m and I just remember making fun of him so hard there's no way this is the (laughs) dumbest idea ever we're going out the night before obviously and you want to have a run Cece's having yoga Um, but 
there I am at like 6.30 with my alarm, driving up to do yoga with Cece and everybody and all the, the bridesmaids and everything. And then I'm driving back to the run, unreal run. It was like, it felt like high school track practice where, you know, you have like 40 people running down the sidewalk or the street and then everybody's staring at you and you guys are all, you know, starting chants and everything like that. Um, very cool, especially if you have a family full of runners to get out there because, you know, I always think, and, and like today, right, I went to a concert to, to Kitmore, the greatest country singer in the world. He's oh, amazing. I like Kitmore. It was amazing. He he rocked it. He was he was the drunkest guy there, I think. He was just <laughs> slugging Jack Daniels. It was great. But I went for a run beforehand, you know, just to, like, feel better when I'm there. So when I have a few beers, I'm eating a little junk food. I'm just hanging out, having a good time. You get that running in the morning, and, like, the whole day is just just better. So to get that whole run in before like this massive wedding with everybody was, it just felt great. Trent, that was a seamless transition back into like a running topic from the wedding. That was beautiful how you did that. That didn't go unnoticed. I actually forgot about the run. That's actually, you know, a good topic that we should, we should talk about a little bit. I mean, um, yeah, so, you know, we had the rehearsal and, um, you know, it's part of our family tradition that we do the rehearsal dinner. And then if it's a destination wedding, everybody who's in the area is invited to the open bar after the rehearsal dinner. So, um, you know, it got a little out of hand, especially when it was like two o'clock in the morning and the groom is in my room, you know, very, very drunk. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, this is bad news. I, I can't be responsible for Mike being, you know, n- you know, sleeping through the beginning of his wedding tomorrow. So I was like, Mike, you got to shut it down. You got to go to bed. But anyways, Mike, Mike, you got to have that last shotgun twisted tea. No more <laughs> shotgunning twisted teas. You got you got a wedding tomorrow. But the next morning, yeah, we, we had the, the run scheduled. It was on the on the schedule for the wedding. And the way that started was on, I, I believe it was my uncle's wedding. So um, my father and my my uncle went on a run the day, the morning of their wedding. And they ran, you know, a famous hill here in our hometown uh, called Fort Hill. And, you know, the whole theme of the run is if you can get through Fort Hill, you can get through a marriage. Here you can survive, you can survive the ups and downs of marriage. So every single family wedding, and I, I have a big family, Every single family wedding since uh, since that Fort Hill run, there's been a family run. And if it's in Lowell, you run at Fort Hill. But if it's not in Lowell, then you gotta you gotta find another hill to uh, to run up. So yeah, no, it was awesome. We had you know, so it, it was very cool. Like you said, we had some of the uh, Mike's college teammates out there, some of Mike's cousins, aunts, uncles, and it was just you know we went for a run on the on the, on the morning of Mike's wedding. Perfect way to kick off the day. You know, sweat out some of those Miller lights and twisted tees from the from the previous night. But yeah, no, that's that's probably one of the cooler traditions in our family. I did it on my my wedding, and uh, you know we're gonna keep it going forward for sure. It's so. uh, it's pretty sweet to be on that side too. So I went to the yoga at like seven a.m. and there are girls getting their hair and makeup done like at at 7 a.m. They couldn't go to yoga because they're doing it. And then we come back, go for this run. Now it's like 10, 30, 11. And we're swimming in this river post-run. Like, oh, I forgot um, about the river. How did yeah, I forget about that? It was the best. We come back, you know, we're all like, you know, sweating that hangover out. It's super hot out. Um, and then I don't know who was it, your cousin, I think, that used to go to school in the area. And he pointed us to this amazing swim spot, just like the clearest water. And we're diving in. And you look at the clock and you're like, man, the girl's been getting ready for four hours. And here we are just like swimming <laughs> in the river, just chilling before the wedding. It was great. Oh, that was that was awesome. 
Um, yeah, completely forgot about that. Obviously, I killed a, a few brain cells last weekend at the wedding because I, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, but, you know, jumping in the river after the run completely got rid of the hangover. That was, I mean, it was freezing cold water, but it was very hot out. So you jump in, you come out, it felt like a million bucks. So um, awesome wedding, you know, very happy from uh, for, from, from Mike and Cece on, on getting married. And uh, Mike, Get your ass back here because you got to get back on your podcast grind. All right. We can't. Trent and I, Trent and I's backs hurt. You know, we got to, you know, we got to, you got to pull your weight around here. All right. What's the over under on Mike's runs during his honeymoon in Costa Rica? Oh, I'm going to go. Okay. I'm going to go with, we'll set the line at, he was gone for, he was gone for a week. I'm going to set the line at one and a half. Ooh, okay. I'll take the over because I was thinking two and a half. So I think that two, you know, there's a couple mornings where he went out. Nothing longer than like 30 minutes, but uh, I'm going to give him, I'm going to give the big fat two right there. So give me the over. All right. So let's, let's just clarify so that it had to have been at least two miles. Okay. So okay. that's, that's not very much, but I, I'd say it has to be at least two miles. Um, so you, I'm going to take the under. I bet, right. I bet you he went on one run towards the end because he was he was uh, feeling a little bit crappy and, you know, working off some of those Miller lights and Imperial lights. That's that's the Miller light down in Costa Rica. So I'm going to I'm going to say that he went on one run while he was down there. So, OK, I'm, I'm taking that over one and a half. Twenty five dollars on the on the mic. Deal. Run on the Deal. <laughs> All right. I can't wait. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, we are going to transition into our interview this week. Um, so we have an interview with our guy, Gabriel. Uh, I'm going to ask him how to pronounce his last name on, on the interview because I, I, I'm not even going to try. But uh, our guy, Gabriel, a guy we talked about last week, he is the community, the global community leader for Midnight Runner. Super awesome dude. I've uh, been looking forward to get him on. So here's our interview with, uh, with Gabriel. All right, we are here with a very interesting interview. We are with the global head of community with uh, the Midnight Runners, Gabriel Gilioni. How did I do there, Gabriel? With the well done. Well done. All right. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank God. Well, hey, thanks for coming on. So last last episode, we talked about my experience with Midnight Runner, and I had a ton of fun. It was it was it was an amazing experience. It's something I'm definitely going to do again. And for the listeners, I tried to explain in my own words exactly what Midnight Runner was. I want you to explain it. So what if you were to explain it to everybody that's listening to it right now, how would you explain Midnight Runner? Um, Midnight Runners is a, a global running community. Um, it's a free fitness movement um, where it's, it's really bringing the fun of running out into the streets and easily accessible to everyone. So um, it's a running crew. And uh, I guess our key event is where we do um, a boot camp run through the city, bring along a ton of speakers, and it's just like this moving party. Um, yep. So just, you'll see people like dancing through the streets, you see people like jamming out to music and just like running. And it's, it's a way to, you know, kind of lighten it up, bring like a social atmosphere to um, running and um you know, and like have a ton of fun. Most sure. uh, 
most people wouldn't put the words party and run together <laughs> as one event. Are you uh, surprised by how popular it's been and how many people show up to these, you know, these party runs? I mean, um, honestly, no, I'm not very surprised because I think there's there's a huge niche for that. And like, you know, in, in terms of getting people out um, and active and connected in, in other ways other than just like constantly like going to the bar and, you know, drinking the sorrows away. <laughs> no, no, but like um, it's a it's a great way of like, you know, connecting people and bring people together. Um, and uh, it's really just like as a, a running crew, it's a creation of culture. It's a, you know, a creation of, um, you know, uh, you know, coming together and uh, it says something about um, the cities that it operates in. All right. For sure. Yeah. And I think we were talking at the bar afterwards. And the coolest thing about Midnight Runner is you have a group of people that, you know, are interested in having a good time, getting a good workout in. And everybody's at a different level of running. You know what I mean? The, you, you take off and there's going to be people that kind of go to the front. And as you go back, the, the group is going to get, you know, slower and slower, which is fine. You know, it's 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 an it's a very inclusive group. But you stop. You kind of get together, you do a group workout, and people kind of catch up. And the the thing that you get at Midnight Runner that you don't get anywhere else in the world is that you are talking with, interacting with, hanging out with people at every level of running, no matter what level of running they're yeah. at, which is yeah. very interesting. Um, so I think that's something that like was really appealing to me um, in terms of like building, you know, community and, and meeting people, kind of like from a different, you know, skill level and, and relationship with running. So like I came from a background of competitive running and then um, when I would join into like different like running communities or, you know, track groups and when I, some groups I'd get like an amazing workout in, but like, you know, there was like kind of something missing and be like, hey, let's go for a beer after or, you know, let's like, let's do something crazy. And, you know, sometimes it wouldn't be always like that like group of people that I was like looking forward to do like something crazy and spontaneous. <laughs> For um, sure. And I found it always like really interesting, inspiring to, to meet some people that would be coming out for like the first time, you know, ever to do their first ever 10 K or, um, you know, the first ever like fitness event and just like on the start of their fitness journey. And, you know, at going to like a normal run me up where everyone splits up in their pace groups, then like I'd, I'd be at the front and I'd be only interacting with like, you know, two, three guys. And sometimes like, you know, it's just like the, the, the Strava and split shorts runners that, you know, <laughs> that are like, and I'm like, I, man, I don't want to talk about splits and you know, race times all the time. I mean, for sure. Um, sometimes I like to meet people, you know, from like all different walks of life. And Absolutely. Uh, when you stop, and like regroup, it makes it really like a social event. Yeah. So we'll do like a do like a 10k boot camp run and stop every like you know kilometer and a half to and do a boot camp. And that allows for like five different times throughout the run to like interact with other people. And you can push yourself as hard as you want, um, or as little as you want, right? Yeah. So I could like run up at the front, but that means that I'm doing, you know, burpees at the first stop until everyone else, you know, comes and joins. And so everyone's kind of like, you know, put on the same level. You're in this experience together. Um, 
And what I find really like amazing cool about it, it, it extends just upon the training part. You know, people come yeah. out to the events not just because they want to get a wicked workout in. They come out to these events because they have a chance to like interact and engage with other people um, in a manner that's like fun and exciting. And, you know, sometimes like doing, you know, 20 push-ups with someone kind of breaks ice. Yeah. As simple as it is. And like, then that opens for like, Hey man, we did push-ups together. Let's buy a beer after. And, uh, we Except always, like, way more than 20 push-ups. We did that one workout, but we did the push-ups and I thought my shoulders were going to explode. It was <laughs> way more than 20. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it was fun, man. They had a good time. Um, um, I, have, I have to cut in real quick. So I agreed with a lot that you said, and, and what you described is why I've never joined a traditional you know, track club after finishing my collegiate running career. It's just, it doesn't excite me to run with you know the same few guys as go all our runs with together and to talk about my, my weekly mileage and to have my, my logs. Um, and, and I think Strava is something that I will never join because I hate the idea of it. But <laughs> what is wrong with split shorts, man? I mean, it's good to show off your thighs. I'll show you <laughs> a pair of split shorts I just got. <laughs> man, I love my split shorts. Okay. Thank God. <laughs> However, are out of the world. Oh, man, those are awesome. <laughs> yeah. So these are Galaxy split shorts. And boy, do I love my split shorts. No, I'm not saying that I don't like my traditional track groups. Um, I'm just saying that, uh, like, I still, and each of you have been living in, like, I still have a, a group that I train with, like, for my performance. And then I also um, do some, like, social running groups, right? Mm -hmm. It's another way of, like, interacting. So that I use that as, like, my easy day. And then I still have my hard days and whatnot. Um, and I think Midnight Runners was really, like, important to me in terms of, like, interacting with others um, and, like, meeting like-minded people uh, when I moved to Berlin. Because I showed up to a new city, and when you show up to a new city, you don't necessarily have, like, a huge social group. And, um, yeah, I was training with, like, a several different, like, track teams and whatnot. And it was, you know, great workouts, but not necessarily, like, a super – um, focused social group, right? Mm -hmm. What Midnight Runners takes on is like the social aspect, but also it's like the creative as aspect of like, you know, creating an identity for this crew. So it's like we get to create like like content together in terms of like wicked videos or do some like awesome challenges or um, create like community like art things together. And it's like it's a lot of like creating this like urban leisure fitness culture which i found is like really interesting and fun um but yeah i found that like i still do my high performance like split short training and whatnot but this is also just like another way of <laughs> just something else change it up you know? so i i think you can hear that uh uh, Gabriel's voice is, is kind of raspy. That's because when he's doing these workouts with Midnight Runners, he is bringing the energy. He is screaming at everybody. He's singing. He's yelling out workouts. He, you, you, uh, you really kind of, kind of bring a lot of energy to these events. And so do like all the leaders. It's like you know, there, there was some of the coolest people I ever met was kind of hanging out and running with those, those, uh, your, your team at Midnight Runners. Yeah, yeah. So, how did you, um, how did you originally get involved with Midnight Runner? Because I think you have a super interesting story. Um. I guess about um, like two and a half years ago, three years ago, 
I decided I just want to pick up and learn German. So I picked up and moved to Germany. And uh, it's an interesting way to learn how to, how to speak German. It's like, oh, I'm just going to go move there. <laughs> let's be honest. I cannot learn a language. Sitting behind a table, listening to a teacher, I like bang my head in. Sure. I was like, I feel so, you know, uncultured. And like, because I learned French in school in Canada and from Toronto originally. And uh, just forgot it all. Yeah. And so I was like, man, I, I went to a German school when I was young. I was able to, you know, s- sing a Christmas song at the end of um, my German training. And that was it. And I was like, oh, man, it's a, a poor excuse of, you know, five years of childhood German school. It's like, I actually, like, need to learn this language. And the only way I can do it is not behind a table listening to a teacher, but behind a table with some beers and a couple of friends. And that's, that's the way I learned it. And it took me like four months of sounding like a complete idiot, but <laughs> that's the way that like, I was able to like learn the language, which move there. Um, and, you know, some of the running communities was like a w- amazing way of, you know, one of support system um, and, you know, engaging with people and, and practicing my German. Um, and so, yeah, I went there and, stumbled upon this running group there i had joined a bunch of different ones and uh i stumbled upon this one they're running along the the spree in berlin they're a small group like 10 people and i was like you know this is cool they're bringing the energy um meeting at a bar after and i was like like i really see something big in this and i see it's like you're bringing you know uh like a different type of energy to to running that uh, really intrigued me. So I, I grew the community. Um, I, I joined as a, a team captain and, you know, volunteered my time to do it, like organizing you know, weekly, the weekly runs, but also organizing, like, you know, party runs where we do, like, on a Friday night, we do a, a run and, like, end up at a bar and just go dancing the night away. Um, or uh, organizing, like, uh, different, like, community events and et cetera. And uh, I loved it. Yeah. But um, grew that in Berlin um, to one of the largest like running communities in Berlin. And uh, so now there's like, if you go on like any given Wednesday during the summer, there's like, you know, 200 people parading wow. through the streets with like all these speakers da- daisy chained together with like playing this synchronized playlist. And, you know, even in the winter, it's it's something that really like lights up the city streets of Berlin. Um, and Berlin can be a pretty like, you know, emotionless, you know, city <laughs> in the winter. Yeah. Um, and, uh, this is a good way of like, you know, bringing people out, getting people moving and, uh, you know, an excuse to like interact with other people when really sometimes all you want to do is like, you know, stay inside during the, the rainy, the rainy, um, winter, uh, yeah. Berlin. Yeah. No, that I mean that's the thing. I mean, I'm we're definitely gonna get out there and we're gonna run with uh you know midnight runners, uh, you know as much as we can the summer. But I'm actually looking forward to it the most in the winter because that's when you really need the excuse to get out there and somebody to push you and somebody to run with. Um, yeah, and that that's awesome. I mean, you know, I, I I love the the social part. Love the having a few beers after because you know if you're not if you're not drinking a couple beers after you run, then you know what's the point. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, that's awesome, man. You know, I, I think Midnight Runner is such a such a cool group. 
um, and something that we're, we're definitely going to be part of uh, kind of going forward. So just a, a curiosity question. So you start Berlin, then you guys start expanding to the, these new cities and everything. And you're, um, you've been all over, you're in San Francisco right now. What is, uh, what's like the economics of this look like? Like how do you have this, this job and how is it spreading like throughout the entire globe? This is what my family has been asking me. <laughs> so, um, Minor Runners started in London um, four and a half, almost five years ago, five years in January, and uh, started with started out with one guy who just decided to like post on Facebook and bring out some people to a run. He's like, "Hey, I'm going to go running," and you know, twelve people showed up. And he's like, "I'm bringing along a speaker," and it was a way of like engaging with other people rather than just like running together, putting in headphones, and everyone splitting up, and. Um, he was like, okay, I'm going to bring along speaker. We can chat to each other, play some music. And fast forward, they had developed this kind of like, you know, 10K boot camp um, style. And they have like, during the summer, like 400 people running throughout the city streets. And it became like viral. Like people would show up and they're like, man, this is so much. And it was just volunteers running it. And uh, people like trying to make this organized event every week, like swarming and taking over the, the downtown streets of London. And uh, they were approached by like a couple different companies and, um, you know, sponsors, like asking for to sponsor them. And uh, they were supported by Under Armour for a bit. And uh, then Reebok approached them and was like, hey, if you, you, you guys wear our clothes, if you like wear our T-shirts then we'll help support you open up in different cities around the world. And um, pretty much they then moved to Berlin as the first city. And that's when I found them, just as they moved to Berlin. Um, and I kind of took it upon myself. I said, this is a cool idea. I love this. I'm going to like grow this to like the biggest running community in Berlin. And um, yeah, I mean, it it's a free running community, right? Yeah. I work for a free running community and there's <laughs> three people worldwide that do that. Um, and uh, the way it works is kind of like I'm here to help, help facilitate and help support all of the captains and the volunteers that run this community worldwide. Um, and so I'm helping them in any ways of like, in terms of, you know, helping them connect them with sponsorship, help them like organize events, help them, um, you know, come with creative ideas help them uh, create, you know, creative um, content, right? Um, and, you know, my favorite part of, like, you know, Midnight Runners is, like, you get to, you know, create something out of this community. When people come together, they get to create T-shirt designs, create logos, you know, create um, logos, and that's something that adds another level of, you know, to the group, right? Um, and so... Um, it's part of my job to help, you know, support them along that journey. Um, so none of the captains are paid. Everyone's volunteer. And there's only three employees worldwide. There's me in San Francisco. And it's my job to help um, set it up in terms of um, personality. And the cities globally. Um, one other person is Hong Kong right now who's doing a lot of um, – sponsorship support and uh so what is paying my salary is the sponsorship 
from like uh, our global sponsor. And then, you know, on individual uh, cities levels, they have local sponsors. Um, sure. And that just like helps give them, you know, budget too. So it doesn't come out of their own pocket if they need to go buy like 400 glow sticks or buy for a pure mile they're organizing or et cetera, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Anytime like you have some good budget, it's going to be a close pocket. Yeah. Anytime you have like a, a community like that where people are buying in, you know, whether it's, you know, a, a running group, uh, you know, an online presence, hopefully one day a podcast, um, there are going to be ways to monetize that. You know, that's I mean, that's where the influence is and that's where marketing really kind of pays off, especially in today's society. But you mentioned something there that I kind of want to transition <laughs> into a little bit because I don't want to I don't want to keep you here all night. I know you're a busy man, but let's dive into your competitive eating and drinking um, accomplishments <laughs> because they are very impressive. You are the, the, correct me if I'm wrong, the world record holder in the pancake mile <laughs> and you have a 517 beer mile. So how did you get into this side of the running world? So I guess um, I used to run competitively at McMaster University in Canada and uh, I guess like our, you know, the, the culture with our, our running crew is like we train hard, we party hard. And, you know, I've definitely been through, you know, those those seasons where you, um, you know, really focus on training so much and lay back off of all the partying. And then at the end of end of all that, we'd have the binge week. And, it's called uh, Bender season. Oh, the Bender season. We call it the binge week. And yes. uh, we did every day of the week. After cross country and track season, we do an event, um, and thrown in there were different challenges. Some days we do like non-running related events, such as uh, the the donut competition, which was just like our school tradition, and I'm pretty sure it's still happening at McMaster today. They do it every year, um, and it was started by some guys like a couple years before me as I was like coming in my rookie year, um, and. They would do like, yeah, the donut competition or they would do like the beer mile. And the big thing was beer mile that they would host in uh, in Hamilton every year. And we'd have, we'd invite different teams from all over Ontario, all the province to come and compete in the beer mile and have a big cake after. Yeah. And it was a blast. Um, <laughs> and so I remember Lewis Kent. Um, so, uh, the former beer mile world record holder and he will actually be our next you know, guest the, on the podcast. The oh yeah. Um, so yeah. Lewis, absolute legend, good friend of mine. We used to race together and, uh, you know, we'd race competitively together throughout the entire like cross country and track seasons. And end of the year, like we'd always, the Western team and the McMaster team, we would just kind of, uh, rally the troops for a big, <laughs> big party. So he ran his first ever beer mile at uh, the Hamilton Schlitz Genuine Classic and uh, crashed on my student house floor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I think then he like realized, he's like, hmm, I'm actually kind of good at this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I guess that's how I got involved. Like, you know, we we're like, oh, well, let's just do something fun at the end of it. And uh, yeah, so that's how. I got involved with that, and I guess the Pancake Mile was um, my my buddy Luke Yeager. Uh, 
a sprinter or, you know, if you would ask him, he's, he's more of a 10 K guy um, <laughs> training as an 800 meter runner. Um, and uh, he is from a small town named Elmira, which is a maple syrup um, festival that has maple syrup capital of the world, if I'm not wrong. Um, and they have a pancake mile every year. And so he says, you got to do this. So we went out, I guess we had a big party the night before and we're going to do this. We're going to do this. So like we roll out of bed, like hung over and like make the trip out there. I roll up to this, uh, this, um, the event and I sign up last minute. I was like, is it still too late? Like, Oh, we're starting in five minutes. So I'm like, you know, like reeking of alcohol and roll up and, uh, you know, put on my shorts and I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go, ready to go. And uh, the pancake mile is pretty much the beer mile, but you have to eat a pancake each lap. Um, and I was like, I feel like I would be good at this. <laughs> Turns out I am. Um, <laughs> my, you know, it's not a very um, exciting world record. You know, it's one of those things where you go home, you tell your mom, and you're like, hey, mom, I have a world record. She's like, ah, what is it this time? You know? Uh, but uh yeah i have i've had that conversation with my parents a couple times just you know because training for the beer mile i want to get my beer mile time faster and they're just like yeah we're so so proud of you yep keep up the good work (laughs) as as steve alluded to right there we've talked beer mile a lot we've had some good tips we watched steve train for his own um but i never really thought about the pancake mile so give me your number one tip to someone if they're entering their first pancake mile you know what technique do i need to use um, I mean, first off, if, if the, the training, first of all, you just got to be a like, fast runner. And it's like the beer mile. You got to lower that heart rate in the last 100 meters. You know, like take it off for the first, um, you know, 300 meters. The last 100 meters, just got to focus on that breathing, lowering the heart rate. And Interesting. The, the eating. This was, I've only competed it once. Um, but, <laughs> but you come through the, the tent area and they have people making sure you've swallowed all of the pancake oh and pretty much it's like you just gotta like force it down it's not a very like exciting way of eating a pancake um <laughs> i would suggest especially as a canadian like you know we power ourselves with maple syrup just like dip it in all the maple syrup you can really like you know mm sit down oh so you have you have they they give you can use maple syrup if you want oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> i think the worst job in the world sounds like the guy that has to check to make sure you swallow <laughs> like you're like open up like move your tongue let me see there's there's maple syrup like dripping down the athlete's face and like all over you as you're checking for pancakes and then that sounds terrible yeah no there's definitely one moment where i was eating this pancake and i was like what is life here what is- <laughs> yeah right um but yeah i mean that's just one interesting thing that goes on like the running resume um i think i've done like other interesting runs like the we did it every year um in my university university we did uh the eggnog challenge i'm sure you guys oh heard. that sounds terrible um, oh i can't think of anything i want to do less oh my gosh. Actually, we actually had we actually had Bryce Hopple on the he's the national champ in the 800 meters and he said that 
it's like a um, a Kansas tradition that they have to do the milk mile. So that sounds very similar. Definitely not interested in doing the milk mile or the eggnog mile. No, no, no. Well, so you the eggnog mile is actually I would say worse than the eggnog mile because the only way that you can finish it is by, I guess, being disqualified. And being disqualified means like up chucking. Uh. <laughs> so the way it is, the way it's it's organized is that you have a cup of eggnog and then you have 90 seconds to drink a cup of eggnog. It's a decent amount of time. And then you have 90 seconds to run a 400, which is not that fast. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just like sheer volume. It's like how much volume can you fit in your body? Uh. And we used to do it every year against like swim team and swimmers like as you know like these guys have to eat so much food just to power their bodies because they're like you know swimming like four hours a day mm-hmm. and so they can like they're big units um <laughs> and so they were like good at the you know holding that all that liquid um but yeah, obviously like we were a bit better than the running part um but uh the I think the most I've ever seen was seventeen cups of eggnog. Oh my that goodness. Like four liters of eggnog in your body. Oh and god. I I got to sixteen one year. Um and one of my friends would come along and photograph it. And the photos you see from this event after, you know, we'd all dress up in like, you know, like ugly sweaters or like Santa costumes, do it around like Christmas time. And um, this is non-alcoholic eggnog, mind you, but it's still coming up. <laughs> and when it comes up out of your body, still cold, oh. it's like, oh, <laughs> God. God. We're not talking about a really like, like appetizing topic right now, but that was, <laughs> you know, one thing we all did a, a Timbit 2K once. Um, so you're gonna uh, have to explain the, to our uh, to our American listeners what a Timbit is. Oh yeah. So um, <laughs> hey, actually, yeah. Gabriel, um, I think it helps with the with the connection. Can you shut off your camera because we're getting a lot of uh, it's it's chopping up a little bit. So just shut off your camera. That 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 a lot of times helps. Yeah. Gotcha. And then you're gonna yeah. have to explain what a Timbit is. So um, yeah, along with like the poor connection and my horrible horrible voice right now. Um, so Tim Hortons, the staple of Canadian culture, something that we are, you know, proud of, but not sure why. Um, they have these things called Timbits, which is just like donuts, donut holes, cut out their little donut balls. And we would do like, and one year we ordered, organized a Timbit 2K. As you can imagine, just, um, you eat a certain amount of Timbits sprint a kilometer, eat a certain amount of Timbits, sprint another kilometer. And uh, there you have it, the Timbit 2K, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> oh, man. And these are just, like, interesting ways of, like, spicing things up and keeping running, like, fun and silly and not being <laughs> serious. Um, yeah. I was just about to, to say, man, this, this is all really fitting, like, with what you're doing now with Midnight Runners. Like, you really are making running fun. It's more than just people that love to just slug miles all the time. You make running fun. And then you describe the eggnog and a timbit, and I take that back. That does not sound <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is contrasting midnight runners. 
Yeah, no, that is that is not fun. That's one of those things where you're like, uh, why are we doing this? But you know, <laughs> hey, it's like spicing things up. Um, but I mean, it's one of those things that I think, you know, those things are happening all over the world. You know, you see like the marathon in the dock, uh, the wine marathon, and you you see like the, you know, crispy cream 10Ks like around yep. the United States and all these different things. I find what I find really interesting, I think this is the one thing I would, you know, use as an overarching theme of kind of connecting, you know, minute runners of, um, you know, connecting people and individuals to, you know, these like bizarre things. The overarching theme would be, you know, running culture. And that's something that sure. I'm really interested in as, um, you know, as an, like an anthropologist, you know, coming from, you know, studying anthropology, I really appreciate and um, am very interested in in running culture and how that is different in different places across the globe. And uh, this is something that I really wanted to explore when, um, you know, I was traveling different places in the world because I, I realized that um, on my first trip to India that I was very much like, doing something that people don't do there when I was running down the streets. Hmm. It's not something that is necessarily very accepted. And so it got me like looking into it and doing some more research and, you know, um, running wasn't always accepted in, in North America. You know, there's cases yeah. of in, in the, in the sixties and seventies where the police have pulled over people because they were running and looked suspicious running hmm. through the streets. Right. Running beforehand was only something that was done by, you know, professional athletes on a track or um, uh, honestly, people in the jail doing workouts yeah. on a treadmill to power a small town. Right. The treadmill was originally designed as a form of torture. No uh, shit. That is crazy. I did not so, know that. <laughs> yeah. So, one of the first treadmills was actually like in a prison. So they'd have prisoners walk up and down like this treadmill in order to like power the facilities and, you know, jogging and running, you know, wasn't really accepted, but like nowadays you see, you know, people running down the streets, you know, with these huge, um, you know, music speakers, yeah. you know, running, hooting and dancing and in these like neon clothing and like, Sometimes people don't even bat an eye. Like, yeah. you know, I, I run down the streets in these, like, you know, galaxy split shorts. And people are like, yeah, okay. <laughs> right? But, you know, 100 years ago, jogging and running is, it was, is not something that was part of the culture. And I realized that this is something that developed over time in North America it's developing still in many places around the world. And so I remember like my first trip to India, I was there. It was only, only for six weeks, my first, first trip. And I would be running along and people would stop in the rickshaws and they'd be like, they're like, what are you doing? Are, yeah. are you okay? They're like, are you, are you running away from something? Uh, and they'd be really like confused. I'd be like, no, I'm running for fitness. And that's something that is, is definitely, um, you know, starting in to develop in India right now. Um, but in like more rural places, especially where I was, it was like, I was in a rural conservative province in um, Southern India. And 
So that's something that's common there, right? Fitness For sure. is, is, is privilege. Um, and so this is something that really interested me. And uh, training yourself to such a peak physical condition, I always kind of took from, took as granted, you know, as someone coming from North America, you know, training myself to this peak condition for like a 10 kilometer race where I'd have to, you know, sacrifice all these calories and time to run a 10K really fast, right? And in India, it's like that. In some places, that's not always like an option to do something like that. And, for sure. Uh, I'm thinking and very interested in like running culture. And so when I came back, I was like very interested in, you know, how running culture developed here. And I started doing some like re research on that and like over time and then also research on like, you know, how the first, you know, women were able to like run the first marathon to, um, you know, when jogging culture really like kind of hit off and how that took place and how brands had big, um, big influences on, on that, and, you know, and had an influence on like human rights and claiming back here your body is movement now seeing how that develops into you know uh things just yet the beer now to and um so i was really interested in did we lose you can you hear me am i still here yep yep we got you yep. back yeah um it was something that i found very very intriguing i would write papers on it and uh then when i went back to india i spent four and a half months uh backpacking from the south of india to the north in the himalayas and um along the trip i did a lot of um interviews with different people um i met up with uh different like track groups there and uh, running movements that were starting in India and were starting the movement, um, and uh, and talked about how it's been developing there and how it's not necessarily like very very accepted. And um, I did some races in you know South India and then in I ran my first half marathon in, in the Himalayas, um, which was I think. A mistake, hmm. <laughs> considering it's like I was uh, still recovering from like a parasite. But oh man, oh! You know, afterwards, and like they're talking about how how important you know this running culture was and how it was developing there. Um, and that's I guess how I find this overarching theme of you know how running culture is like you know developing different places in the world and how it's developed in you know Western cultures like with these running communities and these you know running events. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, that's, you know, the main goal of this, this podcast is we want to curate, you know, a part of the running culture that we absolutely love, you know, and, and I think for, for, for the three of us, we were, you know, our third host isn't, isn't on today, but, you know, it kind of gave us a lot. It kind of gave us an identity. It gave us our friends, you know, it, it gave, you know, brought a lot to our lives and it's, you know, it's interesting to hear you say all that for sure. But I tell you what, that's way more in depth thinking than I've ever, you know, put towards it. Uh, my first reaction to this pod is just to make jokes and have a good time and everything, which is kind of a representation of where the running culture is, you know, right now for us and like what you're doing at Midnight Runners and things. But like the origin of that, where did that come from? 
don't know. You sound like yeah. you sound like a scholar. I mean, you are one. It's it's pretty cool to hear somebody go on a little thought um, about that. <laughs> um, well, I'm giving a talk at uh, Love Trails Festival this upcoming weekend um, about the evolution of, of running culture. And oh, cool. um, what's the name so of that festival again? It's called Love Trails Festival. Love Trails. Where is it? You guys would love this. So. This is a festival um, off the coast of Wales, or on the coast of Wales, um, in the UK, and it is one of the most magical weekends of you know bringing you know these like-minded people from like all over the world, you know, part of these running communities and you know doing these running events. And, um, it is last year was probably you know one of the most phenomenal weekends. Um, I remember running in one day. You know, ran in the uh, in the morning and running along the coast, and there's these wild horses running beside us, and then coming wow. back and you know, doing a a run to like a you know a dance party to then coming back to the the festival site, and there's everyone's in like running clothing, running gear. I think it's like this climax of like where running culture has developed in the Western Western culture of you know this this festival of you know of running. Um, so throughout the day, there's like all these different events and you come back and there's amazing and, you know, good people and there's, um, interesting talks from very inspirational people. Um, and, uh, and a big wicked dance party and some, uh, homebrewed beer then. And it's nice. Oh no. So this, this year, I think they're gonna, it's the biggest they have yet. I think they have a couple thousand people going. Um, and it's just, you, you camp out, tent, run, and uh, every year there's a big beer mile at, uh, at the end, and that's a big event. Um, so and so I'm like looking forward to this. I'm going to have to book some uh, plane tickets next year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think we got to put it on our calendar next year for sure. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, hey, I don't want to take up your whole night, Gabriel, but I do need to bring up a topic that, and I yeah. don't know if it was the beer talking at the end of the night, but you said that you're going to go or you have the ability to go after the world record in the beer half marathon, which is a beer every mile for 13 miles, 13.1 miles. Um, it was was it the beer talking or do you actually think you can do this? I, I think that it's it's something within reach. I think in terms of like I think it's right now it's like 143. And I think it's something that's like nobody has really tried it to really like push the marker yet and i think that's something that like we can definitely see and what's um, your goal for that what do you think what do you think's an attainable time for you i think sub 130 would okay be... now sub 130 if you can drink a beer and run for every mile during a half marathon and you can do sub 130 i told you this the other night when you brought this up, I think that would be the single greatest athletic achievement I have ever seen in my entire life. If you are able to do that, that is ridiculous. That that would be an unbelievable time. So uh, yeah, let us know when this is happening because I want to cheer you on. That sounds awesome. Well, I mean, I think that's something that's uh, my my buddy and I were planning on doing. We're like just going out onto like uh, Temple of Fellows in Berlin and just kind of like you know seeing what we can do. But then we're like, no, if we're going to do it, I would want to do it for like during an actual race. And I'd actually like try it. I mean, I think 
and like try it during a race and like have someone bike beside me with a beer, like a case of beer. Um, and I think it would be difficult. Don't, don't get me wrong. Um, but like I've run, I think the, the most difficult race I've ever done was like, I did a marathon once in Barcelona, like off of two hours of sleep, still like drunk off tequila. And like, <laughs> that was really difficult. But I think that I had the beer that I had midway through it, like helped power me on. And so I think that this, in my head, I was like, this is just more of that same, you know, turbo boost midway through, right? <laughs> these, these, these ideas are always better in your head for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think, no, no, I think, I think you're right. I think uh, maybe I got to do some math there and uh, uh, see how fast we can do that. But I mean, someone did it in 143 and like, that's really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. No, no doubt, man. That, that is, that is just dip underneath that. That's a, that's a good start. Yeah. And you are, you are going to be at the, the world beer mile classic, correct? Yeah. So that's, um, August 3rd in Berlin. Um, I'm really excited. So I met everyone. So like really, like really cool, like amazing athletes from around the world to just like enjoy doing a beer mile every once in a month. We're like, Hey, I'm kind of good at this um, yeah. and decide everyone decides to come together for the world classic so i'm helping them you know kind of set up uh the venue and um the after party and whatnot in berlin this year um just with uh my connections and the berlin minute runners there they're stoked to help host the event and um or help be a part of the the party yeah, big summer, big summer going on. A few different things. You're a big man. Yeah, so I guess coming up is I'm gonna be in San Francisco for um, probably another until until the end of August, um, and then I'm gonna be going to Tajikistan. Um, until, um an adventure. Uh, there's something that's kind of been in the work for the last year and a half, but we're filming an adventure documentary um, and we're going to be running um, along the Pamir Highway along the border of Afghanistan um, through like the, it's called like the roof of the world um, wow. through the Pamir mountain range there. And um, where it's going to be two weeks and we're going to be running about like 50 kilometers a day. Wow. Um, and we're, gonna be like doing a, a documentary about it so a couple of my buddies in, in the uk they're they're uh filmmakers and they're gonna come along and document the entire journey um so it's gonna be a quick turnaround from like beer mile training of you know mile <laughs> workouts and whatnot to ultra marathons yeah um, and then after that i'm gonna be headed off to uh some other destination so I, I, everybody knows the uh, the Dosaki's most interesting man in the world. I think it's safe to say that you are the most interesting man in the running world. <laughs> you, know, you have a lot going on, a lot of different cool stuff. You have festivals, you have beer miles, you're doing ultra marathon documentaries. Man, you're all over the place. This is awesome. Yeah, so. um, that's, uh, that's what my coach said in university. She's like, yeah, you're a bit all over the place. Um, maybe don't, you know, 
that maybe don't do that as your training. <laughs> like university, I'd be like, I'd be doing like a, a race. My coach, she would stand on the sideline. She'd be like, go you crazy rickshaw man. Go you crazy runner. I'm like, okay. Because she hated my mileage buildup for the cross country season. Um, because instead of doing like strict mileage for a couple of years, I, I worked as a, a running rickshaw driver. Um, in the street oh, what the hell? Um, so where did you do that? <laughs> in, in Toronto. Okay. I, uh, so you just run around with people in a rickshaw? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there are some stories from that. Um, my gosh. But like I made some good cash. I would like make, like 500 Canadian a night um, doing that. I'd feel uh, so bad if a guy was just running me around. I'd give him a huge tip. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was an amazing way to meet some cool people from like around the globe. Like, um, but I would do some like pretty hefty mileage. I'd probably do about like 40K throughout the day on my feet. Um, but I do that like four nights, four nights a week. And yeah. my coach would be like, so like, What's your mileage looking like? Like how? What's your training looking like? Well, like uh, I can't really do a workout today because like I just did a big like you know there was a concert last night and I was out to four in the morning rickshawing people. Um, <laughs> you know, hey, it was a way of like you know getting through university. Paying hey, the we bills. need to be our uh, our first repeat guest because I feel like we could have a full interview just on yep. your summer working as a rickshaw. You know, running rickshaw. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is, so I wanted to like put together like a, a series of like my like little like journal entries from my rickshaw, rickshaw days of just like different people I've met. And it was just bizarre. It was, uh, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. We're definitely going to have to have you back on to talk about, talk about running rickshaw. Um, but like I said, we don't want to keep you all night. So we're going to play a game with you. We end every single interview with it. It's called Down the Home Stretch. So we're going to ask you rapid fire questions, and it usually revolves around a topic. But what we're going to do for you is we're going to kind of do like a word association. So we're going to say something, and you got to say the first thing that comes to your mind. All right? So we're going to put 90 seconds on the clock, and we're going to start right now. I'm going to ask you something, and you uh, tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. All right, here we go. So I'm going to start you off with an easy one, beer mile. Uh, Berlin, 2019. I'm going to go with November Project. Uh, November Project, San Francisco. Wednesday mornings. <laughs> Represent. Kawhi Leonard. Uh, legit. Buckets, buckets. <laughs> All right. From Canada, hockey. Uh, Tim Hortons. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you can go a couple different directions with this one. Jack Daniels. Uh, gentleman's Night. Okay. I'll go running with your headphones in. Antisocial. Strava. <laughs> um... Uh, I don't use it. <laughs> it's a politically correct way to talk about it. 
Yeah. All right, we get, we got one more for each of us. Trent, what's your last, what's your last question? Uh, how about whitewater rafting? Um, I used to work as a whitewater raft guide. There it is. And then the last, the last one. Oh, last one. Midnight runner. Running crew. All right, Gabriel, tell the people how they can find you. Uh, you can find me on Instagram um, at Intrepid Soul, or you could uh, send me a carrier pigeon. Um, <laughs> uh, you can uh, get in contact with me with, geez, all of the matters of social media. Um, I do warn you, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not like super good at social media, but Hit me up. Definitely like to connect with people like in the running community around the world. Um, I love just like connecting with like-minded people, like like-minded runners. Um, dude, like super happy to be chatting with you guys. Yeah, fo definitely follow him on Instagram at Intrepid Soul, Intrepid underscore Soul. Um, you follow Midnight Runner on Instagram. Also, everybody go and download the My Crew app. That's how you find all of the Midnight Runner. Uh, workouts and events and all that stuff. So it's M Y C R E W, my crew on 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 uh, on any app store for sure. So you can go you can go find that. Gabriel, thank you so much for coming on. This was this was fun. It was enlightening. It was just a it was all around great interview. <laughs> guys, um, sorry for my voice. Thank you guys so much for having me on board. Such a pleasure meeting you guys the other day. And like, I know that I will see you at some point around the world. Um, Doing some sort of like I come from a long line of bloodline that ain't gonna change. So take your pistol point finger. Thanks again for Gabriel for coming on. Um, it was a great interview. Uh, looking forward to staying with touch with him. I think you know we're gonna try to do some stuff with Midnight Runner going forward. Great group, and I think uh, it matches up really well with what we're trying to do here. So definitely looking forward to that. Um, we had a big track meet um, today, actually. It was the uh, the Prefontaine Classic. They held it at Stanford. It's usually held at, uh, in Eugene, Oregon, at Hayward Field. Sorry. But they just tore down Hayward Field. They're building a whole new facility out at Eugene, so they held it at Stanford. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's part of the, the Diamond League now. Um, so it was kind of interesting. A, a few things that I kind of wanted to talk about. Um, first... First thing I want to talk about, and I think this is going to spiral off into some other, you know, discussions about the Diamond League. But the Diamond League, um, their longest event now is the men's or is the men's two mile and the women's 3K. And they have completely done away with the 5K and 10K from Diamond League meets because they think it's too long and, it, you know, they want to keep the meet shorter, um, which I understand. I get. Um, but. This is going to completely, this is really going to impact the development of distance runners in the world because the, their longest, the longest event at these races now is the two mile. Okay. Like the 5K, 10K are such big parts of track and field. I understand, like, I can, I would even understand if they were like, listen, we got to get rid of the 10K. Like, it's just, it's completely going against what we're trying to accomplish with the Diamond League. It's taking too much time. Um, but to do away with the 5K too, it just, it seems crazy to me. Dude, I hate to say it, but I kind of agree with you. So the first thing I want to say is 
big props to Diamond League for just like doing something different, right? Like don't do all the same events just because a track meet traditionally has events. So try new things, like drop some events, maybe create some new ones, that type of thing. So I'm cool with them playing with it. I'm not a traditionalist in any sense with this, but we kind of talked about this with a mile, how everybody knows like what a good mile time is and what sub four is and all that stuff. Every like Joe Schmo and their their cat has run a 5K. So having like that time that you can compare it against when you see these guys coming in in like those 13 minutes or something like that, um, it's it's important I think for the casual fan to to realize how good these people are. It is like the real distance running is elite track meet. Um, so I kind of agree to get rid of the 10K, um, but I don't know, man. 5K seems too important to just leave out of these things. In the, I mean, I guess my biggest problem with it is you're completely alienating like uh, a giant, probably their their biggest fan base. Like, uh, you know, I think distance runners probably pay more attention to track and field than most groups. Like, you know, there's it it's distance running so different than the rest of track and field, right? I mean, you have cross country. It's kind of it's a year round sport where track and field kind of only takes place during half the year, um, and the events are so different. By getting rid of the distance events, it completely takes out, you know, a, a, a group of people that you're trying to market to. Um, so I don't know. Maybe there's something that they can do, you know, to, you know, maybe put the 10K in some Diamond League events or, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Because I, so taking the 10, I'll go back to it again. Taking the 10K out makes sense because those people can very easily go to the road. You know, you can find competitive um 10k style distance where there's cross country on the roads you can be an elite professional runner and go find those distance elsewhere the 5k the 5k belongs on the track like you need to have it as part of as part of the you know the the events on the track so you know i I, if you're trying to grow the sport you're trying to grow you're trying to grow the diamond league you're trying to grow interest around it you know, do, like you said, cutting events, making it shorter, making it more marketable in that sense. I, I kind of understand that, but you're completely taking away, you know, part of the fan base you should be going after with the 5K. Yeah, why, why the two mile and not the 5K there, right? Because That's miles- the other thing. It's like, it's so weird how you just like, you pick the two mile, an event that isn't in track and field. It, it's very strange. Which, which again, I'm cool with like trying new stuff, putting weird things in there, mix things up, get a get a little different product to to showcase. But the two mile, you're still getting the same athletes a lot of times. They're just the stud milers that are kind of stretching out. Um, but let's get let's get the five k. You get that whole other group in the, the longer distance guys, whole new faces in there, whole new stars to showcase. And again, I really think the five k has some real staying value with people at home. Because they just like, oh, I ran a 5K the other day, and I ran 25 minutes or whatever. So the watch guys do it twi- twice as fast as you. Uh, that, that appeals to me. I don't know. Am I, am, I, yeah. am I not the target audience of the Diamond League? I mean, come on. We're, <laughs> we're a running podcast. <laughs> I know. I know. No, I, I get exactly what you're saying. You, you bring up a good point. Why the two-mile? <laughs> like, why get rid of, like, the most popular event, you know, for runners, arguably in the world, in the 5K, and just put in the two-mile? Like, that's so strange. Very, very, you know, it, it's a it's a puzzling decision. You know, I, I, I don't understand it. Um, you know, let's see, see where it goes with it. I mean, I, you know, are people going to start training specifically for the for the two mile? It's 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 weird, you know, um, I don't know. Well, I do. I do think yeah, that, I mean, that's a good question. Is the Diamond League like, important enough for people to actually train for that specific event that's just showcasing the Diamond League? I think so. I think if you're at a certain level, if you're at a certain level to be 
um, a professional runner, but you're not good enough to be competing for a medal at the Olympics. I think the Diamond League is a place where you're you're like trying to make your money and trying to like, you know, make yourself as a runner. So, yeah, I do think that you're going to see a whole new wave of people start training specifically for the two mile, which is so weird to think about. So I do, I do want to give like props off to the Diamond League in general, even though maybe I disagree with their 5K lack there or, or not including it in there. But having a, and I hate that I'm going to use this comparison, but because I'm in America, having like a NASCAR style, you know, circuit <laughs> where you're getting points every race and every time out there, um, it's it's pretty cool. I, I mean, having like live standings where people are moving up and down throughout the year and everything. So. Um, and I do agree with you that it's important enough for some people to get into. And, and if there was maybe a little more distance in there, you know, someone like myself would follow it a bit more closely because it's a super cool idea of having, you know, these standings that are updated throughout the year. No, I, I completely agree. And I this was the first Diamond League uh, meet that I've watched in probably a couple years. And I kind of went into today's meet, you know, taking my notes, fully expecting to come out of this and be like, you know, Trent. You know, we got to start following the Diamond League a little bit more closely, like, the you know, peak too early. We need to start following the Diamond League, you know, as like our our league that we need to follow through the summer. And like, it doesn't really make sense because, you know, they don't really have any of our events in there. So, like, I, I don't know. I kind of feel weird about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm still into the the two mile and the shorter stuff there and the 800 up. And it is exciting. And it is all kind of made for TV if you can get it. I don't want to go on this rant again, Steve, but. As I said earlier, I was at a Kit Moore concert, so I came back, was trying to watch some highlights of, of the races today to figure out what was going on, and needed my stupid NBC Gold account to log into it. So not spending any more time than that, just saying it'd be great if these races were a little bit more accessible, or even just, you know, ESPN Sports Center like highlights were, were online somewhere. It's 2000 freaking 19. Um, but... Yeah, I wish I wish you did have some more enthusiasm when you came back because I was kind of bummed that I missed like the, the big pre-Fontaine class. Yeah. In defense of the the pre-classic in the Diamond League, it was on NBC from four to six, and you could have watched it on 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 network television. Um, so at least we had that. But yeah, it does think that you it's very difficult to pull up clips. Like I should be able to to pull up Twitter and like find you know, the clips of the clips of the, you know, the highlights and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, you know, it is nice seeing a seeing a race on network television, but you should be able to promote it and spread out, spread the cool things that happen, you know, almost in, in real time on, on Twitter and on Instagram and on social media in general. So, um, you know, step your game up track and field. You know what I was thinking today, too, when when we were talking about talking about the Prefontaine Classic, how important is it in how. Uh, how much does this have to do with just getting on NBC for two hours by having the name Pre in your race? Like, Pre is the Michael Jordan of running. It's the, I don't know, the Tiger Woods of running. Like, it's that one name that if you put on something, people that know nothing about running are like, whoa, Prefontaine? I should turn into what's going on. Yeah. No, and, and it's crazy because, um, you know, I was actually thinking about, it's interesting you bring this up because I was thinking about it today. And, like, you know, other than, other than college, pre didn't accomplish a whole lot. You know, I mean, well, I mean, he, peace, but. yeah, I mean, it, it's a tragic story. He died in a he died in a car crash. If you haven't seen Without Limits, pause peak too early. Go watch Without Limits 
awesome movie. Come back, listen to the rest of the episode. Um, but yeah, no, it's he, he died in a car crash. I mean, his, his whole thing was like he kind of took the country by storm with, you know, his his very aggressive racing. He was very kind of like an outspoken outspoken person. He was kind of a rebel in a sport that didn't really have a whole lot of rebels. So he kind of became like a little bit of a cult hero. But yeah, no, it is nice to have you know somebody like him and the kind of history of sport that you can kind of throw on event and, and gain some traction on. Yeah, I would say more than a little cult hero. If you've run college cross country or track and field, you had at least three teammates with a Prefontaine poster on their room, right? That, yeah. that black and white one of them coming right around the corner there. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's cool. It's uh, it shows how like the narrative is so important. You know, we just the myth of Steve Prefontaine is just growing so much larger than any of his times or anything like that. So that is uh, it's it's exciting that you have a, the Prefontaine Classic, and uh, I'll definitely try and watch it next year. Hopefully, it's online somewhere as well as on network. <laughs> so actually, you just reminded me of something that I totally forgot about. Halfway through, uh, you know, right around the halfway point of the Boston Marathon, I saw a guy wearing like one of those famous stop pre shirts. Yeah. You know, that, you know, it has the stop sign in and it says stop pre. What if, what if we? took those shirts instead of a red stop sign we had a purple stop sign and we had stop p2e dude that's a that's gonna sell out in, <laughs> we need to, to go enough shirts. <laughs> we need to make those shirts that i mean that's that's our first shirt idea like if you like i've actually had a couple people mention to me that we need p2e shirts that's our first shirt we gotta make that that's yeah. awesome I'm going to hear that. I'm going to keep my mustache going. I'm going to grow out a little hair, and I'm just going to be, like, <laughs> trying to be my best my best Prefontaine impersonator with the P2E style on it. <laughs> oh, man, I totally forgot about that. So I'm, I'm so happy you brought up that subject because I would have never Ooh. remembered that. Um, <laughs> stop P2E. We need those shirts. A um, couple other storylines. Um, I don't know how deep I want to get into this topic or how much we want to talk about it, but I think it's something that needs to be brought up. Um, so... Uh, they, they were saying, and I don't know it to the extent, cause to be honest, I haven't paid too much attention to this topic. Um, I just not very educated on it, but they were saying that today could possibly be Castor Semenya's last 800 meter event mm -hmm. ever. Um, because the, uh, was it the IAAF, the governing body, um, essentially has banned her from, from competing. Um, so, I mean, admittedly i'm very uneducated in this topic and i don't know much about it you know what i mean i definitely need to do i need to do a little bit more research to, to understand what i'm talking about so like they're claiming that you know through tests like her testosterone levels are too high too many uh you know y chromosomes to be competing but you know in general i think that this is an extremely slippery slippery slope um and in the case in I think this topic in general, there's so many gray areas and there's so many other stories that we could talk about, which I'm not going to. Um, to me, this seems crazy and it just seems unfair. You know what I mean? I think somebody in the case of Castor Semenya, you know, if you're born a certain gender, you should be allowed to compete in that, you know, in that, you know, category. Um, admittedly, again, very uneducated, but from kind of an outsider looking in, that this seems like a slippery slope, and it seems crazy to me. And, and I don't, like I said, Trent, I don't want to spend too much time talking about it, but it wasn't an extremely important storyline in this in this meet. 
You know what also feels like a slippery slope is just talking about this. I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting here, it's like I had a couple beers, I was listening to Kit Moore, I'm on the lake, <laughs> now we're coming in. And, and I actually, so uh, it's funny you brought it up as one of the important storylines, because I did my, you know, um, on here trying to research what's going on in the classic, getting frustrated, there's no videos of it. And the casters, many of stuff comes up. Uh, it was like the second storyline after, you know, some super fast time in the women's 3K and, and how everybody ran incredibly fast. But it is like the lead, you know, one of the lead talking points. And for people that uh, uh, maybe not caring about the running and more just like appreciate the, the narrative and the storylines of uh, the sport of track and field, this is like got to be the number one storyline because this whole type of discussion is a, you know, it's everywhere in the entire United States, not even just about athletics, but other things going on. So, I don't know. We'll be really curious to, to hear what is the final ruling. My understanding is she's appealing the original decision that said she couldn't run without suppressing her testosterone. And so now they're waiting for the appeal to go through. But it'll be really, uh, really interesting to see what happens there. It's that that statement is so insane like for in order for her to run like the only way is she if she like suppresses her testosterone it i mean just thinking about that's nuts because the thing about running like the thing i love about it is you know everybody starts at a different level and if you work hard you can improve but the bottom line is if you're a professional runner if you're a world class runner you're born with certain abilities and certain traits naturally that allow you to compete at that level you know what I mean? Like a, a guy like Usain Bolt, at birth, he was a more evolved athlete than the rest of us. Um, so it's just it's crazy to hear that and crazy to think about. Again, you know, we let, let's change the subject. But I, I think I think I think, you know, on the surface, without without doing too much research or knowing much about this at all, I think we, it's safe to say that P2E is on Caster Semenya's, Caster Semenya's side. Um, but admittedly, I do need to do more research and do a little more digging into exactly what's going on here. Yeah, that's a beautiful day out today, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. Um, uh, uh, so uh, Centrowitz in, the, in the, the Bowerman Mile. Very disappointing showing. And I think, you know, a lot was made about, you know, a lot was made about the fact like this was his first time racing in a while. And he's certainly it's very obvious that he's not in race shape. But, you know, I feel like I feel like a guy who's the reigning gold medalist uh, should be able to show up and put a little bit more of a performance on. He had a little bit of a kick at the end. I think he finished, you know, probably like five, six, seven, somewhere around there. Um, but he just kind of hung at the pack, back of the pack for a while. And it was obvious that he was just kind of using this more as a as a uh, as a as a you know glorified workout than anything else um but you know i i, I would i was i was really eager to kind of see you know centrowitz kind of bust out a, a nice race out there today and kind of challenge for the win a little bit yeah this is the one diamond league event that's held in the united states and so um and this is like the premier i know we don't have the 5k in there so this is the premier thing for any kind of distance you know a, a long distance runner mid distance runner so it would have been cool to see him out and, you know, just, you know, try and take it. From my understanding, it was a wicked tactical race. So he should have been right there. And the guy's got the best kick, you know. Um, I shouldn't say the best kick. The guy has the capability to at least attempt to kick with anybody, right? That's how mm -hmm. he, he wins his races. He's just got that killer kick. So, uh, yeah, you know, you want to see people show up on their home turf. Like, that's when, that's when you got the home fans there. And that's when you have all of America's tuning in because it is the Prefontaine Classic. And it is 
you know, at a res- reasonable time to watch it because it's in America. So, um, yeah, it would have been nice to see him kind of show up a little bit and, and rep USA today. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, he's going to I guess we're going to see him kind of, you know, go all out in about a month now at, at USA's. But, you know, he's a guy that, you know, I, I kind of want Centrowitz to kind of like be our like our generation's prefontaine. I mean, yeah. the dude won the gold medal in in the 1500 meters, kind of like the, you know, the like what we were talking about the other day. It's kind of like the glory event of our sport. And I don't think he gets enough shine. I, you know, I, 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 I like Centrowitz. I don't, I don't think he does himself any favors. I think, you know, his Instagram presence, he, he says some weird stuff on there sometimes, and he kind of seems like a little bit of a weird dude, but if he kind of pulled back a little bit, I think people and kind of left a little bit more mystery. I think people would, would love him. You know what I mean? So I, I want to get that behind Centrowitz. I want him to be, like I said, like our generations, you know, uh, you know, prefontaine, like the guy that we're all kind of getting behind as a country. Yeah, and, and that kind of brings me back to um, uh, like the Diamond League and the purpose as a whole to get every race mattering and for not to be like, oh, all right, Central's going to run really fast a month from now, you know, where it's like when every race, you know, actually matters to this points in the standings. Now, I feel like it's not as important for these elite, elite guys, like you were saying, Central, who actually has a chance to win gold medals at, you know, the Olympics and things like that. But um, that's another argument for how cool the Diamond League is, is to get everybody showing up. Like, you got to race hard every day if you want a chance at that prize money or whatever they do, seven, eight meets in order to get yeah. that real prize money at the end. So, yeah. Funny story about uh, Centrowitz. So, he, I think he, I think he still does. I know he used to live in DC, Washington, DC. And, you know, I was, I go to Washington, DC a lot for work. And uh, my parents actually live there now. And I was doing my, I like to, to run along the mall up near Arlington National Cemetery and kind of do a little loop and kind of come back. And there's these two guys just kind of whipping like around Arlington National Cemetery up like by the, um, the, the, the Iwo Jima Memorial, the statue, the Marine Corps statue up there. They were, you know, just kind of flying around. And I was just up there like, you know, I was, I, I wasn't in great shape at the time. So I kind of stopped up there, you know, checking out the view, just watching these guys run around. And I realized that it was Matt Centrowitz and Craig Ingalls just kind of whipping around the park right. and doing it, doing a speed workout. And there was a, there was a guy in the middle there with his stopwatch. And I realized that was Matt Centrowitz's dad, who was all, who was a very accomplished runner in his day. And he's now the coach at Liberty down in the DC area. And so I just sat there and I watched him do a workout and it was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. Um, so, um, Matt Centrowitz, we're going to be cheering for you at USA's. We we're I think, you know, we're going to get behind you. We want you to be the guy. Maybe we get him on someday if we grow a little bit. Um, so let's, let's cut that part about me calling him weird earlier. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple other storylines. I don't know if you saw, but in the women's hundred meters, uh, everybody in the field was a little over a second off of Usain Bolt's time. Did you realize that? And on the men's side, the winner, who happened to be 23 years old, he was less than a half a second off of Usain Bolt's world record. Can you believe that, Trent? Dude, the 100 meters is insane right now. With, uh, what was the high schooler's name from like a month ago? Yo, that's what I'm making a joke about. <laughs> Everybody's freaking out how he was like, he was a little over half a second off of, off of Usain Bolt's time. That's just what people do in the 100 meters. It comes down to hundredths of a second. The uh, the woman's joke had me all confused. I was like, "Hey, exactly. that's is that, we're, is that we're right over your head." 
is that not impressive? I was, it didn't sound <laughs> impressive, and then you you sold it well, and you didn't give me this ahead of time, you know, prep that you were joking on. So <laughs> I should, yeah. Uh, I need to the half second, and I was like, okay, all right, here we go. <laughs> um, any other storylines on on your end? Stuff that I may have missed? Um, no, nothing, nothing too big for me. I mean, a lot of fast times going on. I think uh, again, Diamond League seems to be working. People are running super fast, so I'm excited to see everybody does. Um, I guess the rest of the summer, but yeah, nothing, nothing from here. Cool, man. All right. I think it's time to wrap it up. Let's start the bell. Line. Trent, what do you want to leave the people with tonight? I just, I just hope the people feel as smart as I do right now. Uh, having a conversation with Gabe, I never thought we were going to talk about like the evolution of the running culture in depth. Like it is, you know, our evolution of the running culture goes from training really hard in college to now like having more fun. Um, but still, you know, trying to have a few beers after that's always like the extent of what I think about while he's talking about, you know, different third wheel countries and how they adapt. So I don't know. I need to go like read a book right now. Um, and, and just try and be on that guy's level. Cause that was pretty incredible. Yeah, dude. Hey, no need to read any books. Just listen to peak too early. You'll get all the, all the knowledge and enlightenment you want right here. So, um, so I just want to leave the people with this, like, um, we're doing some really cool things here and we're, we're growing slowly. Like people are reaching out to us and it is awesome, but we need to grow. We need to grow a little bit faster. We are in talks with our first real life sponsor for this podcast. And we just need to grow a little bit more in order to get there. So what I need everybody to do, what I need the, the P2E crew to do is next week after you listen to this podcast, just tell one person about it. Tell one person that you think might be interested about it. And that's how we're growing. We need your help. So uh, so do that. Again, make sure you're subscribing to us on on uh, on, on uh, Apple, iTunes, uh, following us on Instagram, and spread the word. And thank you all for listening. Guys, I would have run faster, but I peaked too early. Mike, in post, somewhere in Costa Rica, hit me with the Josie. Let's Josie's go. Kip Moore, that's the guy that sings Beer Money, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's my favorite country singer. He was, no, he's good. He was, like, saying <laughs> they almost canceled the show because of the rain and thunderstorms. Like, they had to make him take, like, a 25-minute break. And, like, the opening acts had to cut short because of yeah. the rain and shit. And he came in and he's like, they told me to cancel the show. I said, fuck that. He's <laughs> 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 like, like Jack Daniels. Okay. Thanks for delaying it a bit. You know, I had, like... A couple friends over the weekend, so you know how that sometimes it's like. Yeah. yeah. Back no, um, it's uh, plus the time zones, like, yeah, you know, Sunday evening hours are a little different. Like, I travel a lot for work all the time, so finding uh, times we can all do podcasts ends up being a nightmare sometimes with the two, oh, three yeah. hours. So, where are you normally? Like, where do you travel normally? Uh, all across the country. So, as in. I think I went to San Francisco last year for a little bit, but we, we jump around a little bit. But we're all based in, you know, I live in uh, right outside of Boston right now. Okay. Um, 
near these guys. So it's a, it's a challenge sometimes, but we always make it work. So yeah, I uh, was working in London for four months and yeah. I was, like every day communicate with people in San Francisco. And just like awesome. time difference was just so difficult. Yeah. So Gabriel, how do you, how do you pronounce your last name?